Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is Springfield, Oregon Mayor Sean Van Gordon. Sean, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. This is the first time I've been live and in person. Yeah, it was. it's always funny when people meet me in person for the first time because they realize I'm super short. <laughs> I'm 5'9". I'm actually average. All the haters out there can, can have their opinions and leave them to themselves. You know, I really appreciate you doing this. It's been an honor since I started this podcast to build friendships with people that I never imagined I would. I didn't know anything about anything, Springfield politics at at all. You know, we bought our home. I'm from here, but I had moved to Mm -hmm. Eugene. I moved back in 2018, bought a house, and I'm super grateful that I did. And then I started this podcast, and I, I basically started learning about local government. And I realized real quick how much more digestible Springfield is than Eugene as far as politics, because it's a lot easier. Not there's a different set of issues, a different set of ta- you know tasks to tackle. But uh, you've been gracious enough. You were on city council when I first met you, and then became the mayor. And you were gracious enough to be a guest. I think this is the third time, maybe fourth. It might be the fourth. I've yeah. been on it for uh, three and a half because <laughs> you came on with the fire chief. Yep. yep. And then, but you've also. Been, I've been vocal about this on the podcast. You've also been really awesome behind the scenes by sending me rec- you know, recommendations. Uh, Alan Benavides from the Eugene Emeralds, uh, Police Chief Shearer was a great mm-hmm. guest that you recommended and you kind of helped me set that up. And so I super appreciate that. That I mean, it's just, I've had such a, I've been so fortunate with the guests that I've had over the last four years that it's, I pinch myself all the time. And I'm, I'm really proud of where we're at today after 177 episodes. This is number 178, which is pretty wild. So, but thanks again for doing this. Not a problem. Um, and also, uh, I listen every time it comes out. Yeah, it's cool. There, yep. And my goal is is that there's there's so many. I wanted to do stories of the underrepresented, but there's so many things that I like to spotlight that I know that other corners of that I spotlight may not be familiar with. So, an unintended consequence is that I'm I see a growing community that has met through listening to my podcast or like they like become aware of each other and reach out and social media allows us all to communicate and stuff. It's really cool. You know? So (laughs) the world's a lot smaller than it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into it. we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, you're seeking reelection. So you've, you've been in office now since, was it 21? Yeah. So I became mayor in January 21. So, um, that was an appointment. And then, um, because of the, because of the way the, that the charter works, I, I have to run for election, you know, at the next regularly scheduled election, which is this election coming up. Right. And so if you are elected, how many, how many terms can you, can you have two full terms now? 
Oh, no, there's no term. There's and no term limit there's on no there. Ter- there. There's no term limits. It's going to be a, it's going to be a little bit uh, strange for folks because if I get elected in November, um, it's two. I get elected for two years until the rate until and then it's back on the regularly four year scheduled okay. term. So sure. this election's to fill out the rest of Mayor Lumberg's uh, term that she was elected to in 2020. Side note, but with Kate Brown, for Republicans, they think she's been president for 11 years. <laughs> There's an eight-year max, right? Oh, I would, I would have to look it up. There, there's a two-term max, but she became a governor by appointment, and right. so somehow I think that did she get up, an extra couple? No, I think that may end up being like she may have been governor for ten, 10 years, not eight. Okay, so okay. and that's why that's why I was. I mean, a lot of people. It feels like she's been in office for a long time, but we won't get yeah. sidetracked with that. So now you are running again. You're running, you know, for this office. Uh, for basically your 1.5 term, uh, you're running unopposed. Uh, so yes. how, how do you like your chances? I, <laughs> I, I hope they're pretty good. Um, but, yeah. you know, I've been unopposed, um, on other, other council elections and it's really important that even when you run unopposed, it's still people's vote, right? Yeah. It's still a sort of, you know, signification of support. I still want to go out and ask for people's support and still talk about where I think this community is going to be in the next two years. Um, and just not, just not assume that yeah, it, no, I'm the only entry on the ballot and therefore I don't need to talk to, talk to my boss about it. hundred percent. Exactly. hundred percent. I, I saw Steve Moe was doing something similar where mm-hmm. he was out, he was doing debates and, or, and forums and things because city councilor Steve Moe, if you're, if you're unaware, uh, listening, but, but. Uh, he was talking about, well, I still have to learn. I have to bump elbows with yeah. the community and campaigns give you that opportunity. Then you can hear what people are wanting to see changed. Mm-hmm. And so that's really cool. And so, I mean, we had scheduled this episode, full disclosure, we had scheduled this episode like three months ago. You're like, well, I'm running on, uh, you know, for a reelection. Can I get a, a spot in the beginning of October? And I basically was like, you could come on every week if you'd like, you know, <laughs> but uh, so, so we had talked just, you, you mentioned, you know, in the last 10 years, Springfield has received a lot of high praise. Yeah. Uh, and, and we had, I've talked to ad nauseum on the podcast about the previous administration with Christine Lundberg, you know, and I'm very vocal about my political views. Uh, and she's more, I guess you could say conservative leaning, but I think it was, you know, pretty fair to say nonpartisan because that's mm-hmm. what the seat is. But I still think that what she had done and her leadership, or at least on her watch, was really effective and really good in Springfield. In a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways I would have criticism too, which just as a whole, but there's a lot of moving parts of, of, of how, you know, it's like everyone wants to say the executive branch of government is like the one to blame for everything. And it's, right. I don't know if that's necessarily fair and it's not fair, but over the past 10 years, Springfield's received high praise for the direction it's heading. What do you think is the major factor? Um, it's, it's the people in Springfield, right? Like Springfield has got a long history of getting things done and figuring out how to work together, uh, you know, left, right, center, um, and just sort of come together for the for to make sure that the the community is what what we want it to be. Um, it is that's really where our legacy is is our ability to get things done. Yeah, for sure. Now, mayor being a nonpartisan seat, like I had just mentioned, and I think you are the epitome of nonpartisan. You've kind of you work really well with both sides and you've received praise locally from both Democrats and Republicans. How do you manage to keep both sides happy in such a divided time? I don't know if it's about keeping them happy, but yeah, like I, I don't know that keeping them happy is the right answer, right? Sure. But I think the answer is really 
is to show up for people. You know, there's parts, you know, and be curious about how people go through their lives, what's going on with their business and their family and their schools, um, and not really jump to jump to a judgment, really let the conversation play out in front of me. Um, and the, the best thing I've had that's worked out for me is I talk to a lot of people. I go to a lot of events, and I just enjoy Springfield for being Springfield. And that gives me an opportunity to learn, ask questions, interact with folks. You know, if it is, you know, people are always surprised when I, you know, they leave a message, I call them back. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And it's, it's that kind of thing that really... I think speaks to the nature of what this uh, what this community is, but it also allows us to go. Okay, you know, potholes aren't partisan. You know, the fire department's not partisan. Right. Totally. Absolutely. And and local government, I I can see why those positions are nonpartisan because you can't, uh, it, you know, you got to work together. And in Springfield, do you know the exact? I mean, or somewhat of a rough estimate. On the demographics, if it's like uh, registered Republicans versus Democrats, Ooh, I don't know anymore. Yeah. Um, I think this. I if if not affiliated, it's not the biggest party in Springfield. It's the second bi- biggest sure. party, and right? people will register where that doesn't mean that that's where they fall. I mean, it, it comes down to primaries. I know that there's been some times where I've considered re- registering Republicans so that I could vote, a, you know, f- kind of against the candidate in, in a sense. Maybe not locally as much as nationally, but I'm looking at you, DT. No, <laughs> no but. Uh, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about the local election before sure. we get into um, some of the major issues Springfield's facing. Uh, but for locally, when I say local, I mean Eugene Springfield, but also statewide. Uh, what is one race that that you're keeping your eye on locally? Oh, I, I'm actually going to tell you there's two races I'm watching locally. One of them is that West County uh, County Commission uh, race um, because I think that's the only County Commission race that is really active and still ongoing into the into the fall. But how that how that uh, commi- how that County Commission race goes is going to sort of dictate you know kind of the direction that the board's going to go the next couple of years. Yeah, can you talk? So Don Leslie mm-hmm. and Ryan Seneca. Yeah, and and I don't know that much about either one of them um i i would you know if if i was handicapping it right now um you know i think ryan's got kind of the inside track here when i when i look at when when i just sort of look at how close i think he you know he is to what i would think the center of that district is yeah i mean i think that only my thoughts on it and again i cover a lot of springfield and i don't know a ton about it we will be talking uh to Randy Groves in a couple mm-hmm. weeks, and we're going to cover. He's a Eugene City Councilor, former police uh, or uh, fire chief, and so we're going to get deep dive into yeah. some Eugene stuff. So maybe I'll be able to me- talk to him about that more, and we're going to talk about the recall as well. Uh, but I do think that that Seneca's kind of tapped into uh, just anger and vitriol for things that are made up. So like the like the election being stolen and things like that. So so I think that you can rile up a base. And so I think that sometimes you hear more voice. And then when the turnout happens, it's surprising. But West Eugene's demographic may be different. I've yeah. met Don Leslie, and I think she's an incredible person. I think, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know anything about Ryan Seneca other than I do have, because in the barber world, I have some uh, just connections across the board. And I, I had a f- uh, longtime customer of my boss, actually, that that told me he was working on his campaign. And him and I had a really respectful conversation, even though... We are 100% polar opposites mm-hmm. of, of each other. So, but, but I, uh, my take on it is that I saw this tone of anger for things that I think were manufactured and not actually in reality. So, we'll... we'll yeah, you, 
I'd definitely ask uh, Councillor Groves yeah, we'll about it. we'll talk about it. Because and he I, knows a lot, yeah. you know, he knows a lot more about it. You know, Me like, and my, you are not the two people that are going to know a ton about <laughs> West Eugene. Our heads are so deep into Springfield. That's the yeah. facts. I didn't intend that. But when I started this podcast, I just, I decided because this is my hometown, you know, it's, it's Springfield, Oregon. So I've lived in Springfield, Oregon. I moved here when I was 11, you know, so I've lived here longer than most of the people in office. <laughs> so, so uh, now... Okay, so another one you had mentioned. Did you mention both? You said the oh, one, um, the West Eugene. Yeah. So the, the the second race, obviously, I'm watching is uh, Congressional District Four. That's the Val Hoyle, Val Hoyle, Al- yeah. Alex Carletos. Yeah. and you know, I have a unique experience um, because I get to meet everybody that's out there. And I'll just tell you, you know, a quick story about um, about uh, about Val. So at the start of the race, it's very common for people to call and ask me my, you know, like, what's the most important thing to you, right? What are issues that are going on in Springfield? And I brought up a pretty technical issue, which is this 42nd Street levy. Um, You know, you've probably heard me talk about it a couple of times about the importance of making, um, uh, you know, making sure we have good flood control for the northern part of the city, because that keeps us all from having to buy flood insurance, right? Right. Uh, And that's not a great topic to actually run a campaign on right i did not give her any fodder but she took the material that i had she she's called me about six different times about it learned as much about it is more about it than i did and has made calls on washington you know to washington to help you know just put in a good word for the work that um uh you know what we needed as a city right and that's during that campaign yeah. Right. And so like when I think about how, you know, you know, I like them both, but like I th- I think that that spoke to me a lot. Right? She, I mean, she's currently labor secretary, mm-hmm. so she's working. What is Alex Carlotto's position? Oh, I do I don't know what he does Reality profe- television. No, I don't know what he no. does professionally. He's from Douglas County. He's from, sure. you know, my home county, but I don't know what he does for his it's day an job. Int- it's been interesting to watch all of these ad campaigns. Uh the political ads, it's nauseating. All, all everyone agrees that they're nauseating. But I think that there's important information at least to, you know, to set yourself apart from the other options and whatnot. But it's so funny to me how, and I don't want to nitpick just the conservatives. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a hypocrite. No. But like with with Alex Carlotto's commercial, it says he was praised by Obama. And it's like, yeah, not for political stuff, but for like the train thing. But 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 the reality is, is that uh, it's just funny how they do it. I don't know a lot about Alex Carlotto's. I, I know that, that he, I mean, his whole campaign is, is that he you know, save that the people on the train. Well, and here's, you know, and, and here, here's the thing about, you know, Alex, uh, Alec, um, I like him a lot. Um, I think he's, you know, um, you know, uh, he grows up, he, uh, grew up in Douglas County. So obviously the County that, I, that I'm from and the, the amount of moral courage that it takes to act, you know, acts through, you know, through that event is absolutely outstanding. Sure. And we should always be grateful for that. Um, you know, and he's, you know, he comes from Douglas County. He's a, he's a timber guy by nature and wants to advocate for the rural counties. And I think that's, that's admirable. Sure. And that is Oregon. I mean, and it's a, and then sometimes it's difficult things. And I think that sometimes in the Valley, it's, we get, it's short-sighted where people are like, well, we need to stop cutting down the trees. And it's like, that's actually not good for forest fire you know and, th- and different things like that and that's a different conversation yep. but oh but we, it's just we, a really we, complex deal it's like not as easy as people want it to be you know and so i mean i think that's fair i will say for val hoyle uh my buddy a good friend of mine who i've met through the podcast really uh anthony reed he's in the commercials and those are legit he 100 percent believes and he he has every reason to believe what he's talking about in the commercials because 
uh, he's talked about it on my show too, where he's a union carpenter and he, he knows that she goes to bat for, for workers' rights and that he, he just knows that she actually, like you were saying, deep dives, tries to learn about the issue yep. so that she can... She, so I personally think she's the more qualified candidate, but, uh, well, you know. Now, I want to move on to the governor's race, and this is insane. I mean, it's really rare that we actually have three candidates, and I think that this is something that's really good for... I personally have been talking about this a lot. And you, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say because becoming from a nonpartisan take, you know, I've had people that were probably more uh, left-leaning that were saying that she's she, Betsy Johnson is not tough enough on climate. I've had people that are more right-leaning saying that they're, they're really liking... My dad is like, he's going to vote for her. He's, mm-hmm. he's, about, he's already made up his mind, you know, and, and he's pretty conservative. I've, I also think the people that, that you hear that say, oh, she's just a... A rhino or oh she's just a Repub- a republican well then those people are actually not wanting to to come together at all so that's just exposing them more than anything else that being said you know this election is going to be decided in my opinion especially in oregon but but also nationally on uh where your stance on a women's right to choose like even my dad said something that was really telling he said well you know she she supports planned parenthood and he doesn't because he doesn't know what they do. <laughs> Which, but uh, I said, well, Dad, I don't think you can win an election right now if you don't. You know, because of the fact that, or at least if you don't want to, if you want to abolish Planned Parenthood, right. you're going to lose. Like, it's just the way it goes. It's a, it's a, this is a complex one and probably the most, like, I, you know, I live and breathe politics. We always say the next election is the most important is, election yeah. in our in our, in, our, in our lifetime. Oregon politics is a contradiction wrapped up in an, in an enigma sometimes, right? And I think Betsy Johnson uh, in, embodies that. So when I think about it, I'm about like I'm a Betsy fan. Um, you know, uh, there's a sign that's coming from um, you know coming from my fr- front yard here shortly, uh, and hopefully it's going to get get put up. And you know the um, what I tell people is. I experience people and meet a lot of folks. So I'll tell you the story uh, about Betsy Johnson and then, then I can just kind of describe where I see the rest of the race. Uh, recently, I joined, went to the first mayor's conference in that I've ever been into because I haven't been mayor that long. And we there's a Friday night reception. You know, you always go to conferences. People have, you know, have a, I don't know, a fundraiser and, you know, baskets to fund scholarship funds, that kind of thing. And I walk in the room and without campaign aids, Betsy Johnson's sitting there, right? Like on a Friday night in Newport with a bunch of mayors. And here's the two things that struck struck me about that. One of them is it, we invite, apparently the other, the everybody was invited, but it's not the first time that she's been out there and it wasn't is a campaign, a, you know, sort of event. She just came down and was mingling with everybody, you know, in the cheese and wine line with everybody else. Where was this at? Sorry, this was at the Oregon Mayor's Conference. Okay, it was in it was in Newport this year, and just and when talking and meeting other mayors, it's like, oh no, she was down there. You know, she she goes every year. She's always gone every year, and to see that sort of level of sort of willing to to outreach to folks, talk to people, get connected with local leaders. Like that, that's appealing to me. Sure. Yeah. And especially in your position, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's hard to gauge, you know, cause I was at the, uh, uh, the black celebration, the black business celebration at the Alton Baker mm-hmm. park. And I saw, I met Tina Kotek. I really didn't talk to her personally, but I was sitting around and 
she's rad. Tina Tina Kotek's cool in, my, in a lot of ways. I thought she was really cool, really personable. So, I mean, but maybe that's campaigning. You know, but that being said, like, there's the Black uh, Cultural Celebration. That's what it was. Yeah, right. Uh, but, you know, these everybody's bumping elbows all over the place during a campaign. And I think it's really cool to get out and meet these people because, like yourself, they're so approachable. A lot of, oh, yeah. you know, a oh, lot of people. absolutely. Yeah. And, and here's my concern with Speaker Kotek. Um, I don't know that she's running a race for, um, you know, all of Oregon, right? Sure. Like it's, you know, and again, she's got kind of the inside track and, you know, has to, has to sort of um, like where her, where her base is and, you know, people need to run the campaign that they want to. But when I, when I read her, her material, right. You know, they stop it. They stop in Eugene. They don't come to Springfield. Right. Really? Yeah. They, uh, you know, when, you know, there's stuff where I read material that comes out and I go, look, if I grew up in Douglas County, this wouldn't speak to me at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I have a hard, and this is what, this is the sort of the, the circle I'm trying to close in my hair. They're the intellectual thinking behind the last 10 years of, you know, Oregon politics and something like 70% of Oregonians believe we're going the wrong way. And so that causes me to really listen for, okay, what are we going to do different? Right? Yeah. And I, I've been saying, I, I agree with that, but there's a, there's a caveat. I've been saying though, too, that, that, uh, we need to lower the temperature. So sometimes I've actually been like, at least kind of like, what's this? I haven't made up my decision. My, mm-hmm. I'm still leaning towards Tina Kotek. I'll be honest. But oh, that being sure. said, like that, that I do think that we need to lower the temperature. And I think that Betsy Johnson might actually have the best. She might be the one that can do that the best in some ways. Uh, you're going to hear people mm-hmm. on the extremes angry and all that stuff. But we had talked about before that there's a huge group in the middle that is fed up with both extremes. Now, as far as the homeless, homelessness is, in my opinion, the number one issue in, in Oregon. And mm-hmm. let alone Eugene and Portland, it's it, it's beyond the, the pale. But uh, you people can make the arguments that 10 years the last 10 years that this, that this would be a continuation of that administration. She's been working on it. What is it fixed? I think it's a little short-sighted because I think that we need to start looking at basically the fall of, of capitalism, but we, we need to, we need to look at Walmart and Amazon and these massive corporations that have eliminated small businesses. So maybe, you know, I'm not saying Democrats oh, yeah. have a hit track record of being super pro business, but they, we need to find ways to help small businesses so that people can have a livelihood so that they don't have to mask their depression and their pain with drugs. Oh, There's so many causes that gets you to drug use and a drug use isn't the only reason for homelessness. It's, it's a lack of opportunity. Absolutely. And so I do think somebody that has experience with it, it's not necessarily fair to say that it's a complete, uh, you know, well, you've already been working on it. You haven't done anything. Now, I think that's an absolute knock on Christine Drazen because her whole strategy and sometimes the conservative strategy is is hard edge. We need more policing. And that's not that's not we'll get to the public public safety and and policing in a bit. But that's not to me the answer. I mean, it's just a hard there's a balance. There's a balance. So I wish I I wish I knew Christine a little bit better to to comment for for you about it. And I just don't. Um, But like the I guess the. The thinking that I that I come back to is the willingness to do and think about and do something different if what we're doing is not working, right? And I think that's where I'm kind of going. Okay, I'm listening for that sort of thread in the in the Kotech campaign materials, and I, and and I don't hear it. And I'll give you one example. And this is this is an argument I have at, at the state with the state right now. Is the state legislature right? Like in the regulatory environment in in um, in Oregon is regulating at a molecular detail. Um, you know, I made a post in Facebook a, about this a little while ago. 
one of the unfunded mandates that we have on our desk right now is about $9 million, $9 million to implement and there's no dollars to do it, right? Like, so there's something broken. Like, sure. And I understand that everybody's trying to do the right thing and it's a much longer conversation and I would love to spend another hour and a half t chatting with you about, you know, changing capital trends and bonds and everything that we need to do. Yeah, I mean, it, one of the things, if you want to look at Tina Kotek, as a, she's Secretary of State, I mean, voting rights, you know, are you, first of all, are you, what's your take on mail-in voting? Are you a fan? Yeah. And Tina Kotek's not the secretary of state. Well, she, she, she was the speaker of the house, speaker of the house. Uh, until okay, for, the okay, last, okay, okay. Uh, for, for the last, I've never, look, I've never voted in a, in a voting booth. Um, like mail-in voting came in in 98, which ironically was my first election. Like we should just let people vote. I was Count. wrong. I was wrong. Speaker of the house. Yeah. I just, the reason that my mind went goes there is because that is another major thing on this year's election is there's people that want to take away voting rights. And again, manufacture this, this lie that like there, there's a lot of like, you know, mail-in votes that people are ballot harvesting. And like, it's just not true. There's not evidence to support it ever anywhere. Like that, it's not a f fact that it's that it's caused issues and there's a lot of people pushing for that because they want lower turnout because they don't have the numbers the where my head is is we're all citizens in a democracy let everybody vote count the votes whoever gets the most votes wins i support people that pay taxes voting even if you're here on a green card because you have representation without i personally we may disagree on that but i think i, I work on campus yeah and I talk to people all the time that are here for long stays. Right. That are here for five to 10 to 12 years on green cards. I think that they should have taxation with representation. I think that they should be able to speak a little bit. I don't know how that would work. Almost like a, you know, that we could be here for days. Yeah. But, I, but I truly think that there's something there. And, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me, but it's like, why not? Why, not? why do they not have a voice? I think you're. I think the answer that you have is a longer discussion about how yeah. visas and green cards work, right? Like, and I, I, I yeah. I've got opinions here. Sure. <laughs> I do want to have you back too. And we'll, we're have, we've got so many things we could discuss, yeah. but civics and just the way that it all works. We've talked behind the scenes about doing a deep dive to really explain it all, but we got to talk about some issues. So, as far as the governor's race, you had kind of mentioned. So, you're, are you endorsing Betsy Johnson? Is that, did you say you were getting your yard sign? I am getting a yard sign. Wow, that's a big uh, deal. They, uh, apparently, we're making breaking news here on sure. That's on a big deal. That's a big deal. But and then, I mean, I will say that, like, hey, you know, there's a lot of people in my in my crew on my party that are going to be upset. But I'm not. I'm not a decided voter at this point. I have to be proven to a little bit more. And I, I think that that should tell people stuff, not just about me, but about the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party needs to be looking at every every politician should always be evolving. If you get set in your ways too much and you tell people that they should join you, that's not how things work. You have to listen to your people. Yeah. And, and, to, and to be fair, right? Like I have a responsibility to the citizens of Springfield, right? Even though I'm sharing what I'm doing in my personal life here. You know, any, you know, if either one of those can't, if any campaign wants to come down a tour, meet, I'm always open to, you know, showing people around Springfield, talking about what's important to folks and, yeah. and sharing the information. Cause the reality is any three of them could be governor. Sure. And that, and, and, you know, one of the things I didn't mention is this the potential that Betsy Johnson is a spoiler where she ends up taking the votes from Tina Kotek and then Christine Drazen gets in. And I think that Christine Drazen is the least qualified of the three, in my opinion, for the position for where I want the direction of the, of the you know, state to go, 
you know, so we'll see. I mean, it's going to be really, really interesting. It's pretty yep. rare that we have a race that's th that's got this much attention, you know, nationally. And I think that it actually is something that nationally people should pay attention to because I think that these three-party races, though they, they can have spoilers, mm -hmm. we need to have five candidates in, ca in campaigns, in my opinion. But those that many commercials people would throw up in their mouth. So that wouldn't be good. So let's move on. Let's talk about issues. We're going to talk about public safety and policing first. I've got a, a, a few areas I'd like to mention. But one of the things you had mentioned that you wanted to at least talk about uh, that's on the ballot in Springfield is really, really important is uh, ballot measure 20-237, which is the jail and police levy. Mm -hmm. So tell me about that and tell me why you think it's super important. Well, um, this is this is a this is our our uh, levy that supports the jail and police services in in Springfield. So it's about a dollar forty. It's the it's a renewal. So it's the same price th that people were paying the last the last time it was up five years ago. Um, so what this does is it sort of protects the level of service that we have in policing today. Um, so it doesn't just fund the jail. It also funds about 10 um, FTEs that are either patrol folks or people in the, uh, people in, um, the uh, building that are evidence clerks and things like that, as well as um, some services around uh, uh, services around the courts, right? So a dollar for real quick, a dollar forty per thousand dollars yep. of home value. Correct. It's, it's, it's property Correct. taxes. Right. Okay. Correct. And it's an operating levy, so we have to do it every. We have to come out and and ask every every five years. But if you want to talk about that, if you love downtown Springfield, if you love all the you know the great things about feeling safe in Springfield, the public safety levy and the work that we that that we've done um, around that has has been critical. Um, when you stand on the corner of Planktown, you know that was one of the highest crime rates uh, corners in in Springfield before the before the jail came around yeah this is always this is tough because this is i think why springfield gets high marks is because uh i've had eugene police officers maybe off the record i don't know but tell me that you know springfield was known for having a heavy hand and so there's a lot of nuance to this okay so mm -hmm. i want this and i'm glad that absolutely yeah there's a lot of nuance because i do think like i have mixed feelings about uh for example tents next to businesses or like, you know, things like that with homelessness, because mm -hmm. obviously, you know, this is just really difficult. So my concern is with this, when I first heard about it, is that there has been a pretty, pretty big amount. One is too many, but a pretty big amount of large settlements that have paid out right. been paid out for uh, situations of excessive force from the Springfield Police Department. I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, sure. uh, in the Stacey Kenny case, it was like 4.5 million. And then I talked when I mentioned with Michelle Emmons, who's running for state representative in like, I believe, Southeast Lane County, that, uh, you know, her opponent, Charles uh, Conrad, was there was a settlement in 2015 where he body slammed a handcuffed home, homeless deaf guy that handcuffed man. So there was a $450,000 settlement. Now, my, my concern is this, this is, does that money that goes to this levy, does it, does it at all go to paying out those settlements? No, it doesn't. Okay. But, that's huge. That's huge for me. Cause that would be a deal breaker for me. Yeah. So, so when levies, when there's tight rules financially about how levies work. So when we tell the public, um, and you've seen it with the street levy, the fire levy that we're going to do X, right? That money is sort of earmarked, tagged, whatever you want to have to do to to do to do X. So the thing that um, that I think is valuable to see, right, 
And a lot of this goes back to how dangerous Lane County was in the early aught, late 90s and early aughts. And that's a whole other... And Sp- Springfield specifically. Yeah. yeah. Like property crime has dropped, sure. you know, 50% since... Um, since uh spring like since the jail opened but the reality is we're going through separate phases about how we think about public safety monday when when monday rolls around um we're going to be talking about what a drug and treatment court looks like yeah we need because go ahead and well and and that's and that's one of the things i keep talking to people about why i I believe this levy is still important is because it protects the level of services that we have today and then you know the ask that we that the public keeps coming back is you know they they were interested in more cahoots services more mental health services more treatment services and that allows us to really build on top of a solid foundation so that if you have a property crime or you have um or you you know god forbid something happens with your house right like that you have a reasonable response time so that pd can service whatever that issue is and then we sort of can have some running room if you will to address some of these other issues related to related to the uh you know to the public safety and you know people are usually shocked because they think of this as the jail levy well it's really older than that it's really like the thing came around in 2002 specifically because the community said hey city you're not responding in a way to, to to crime calls in the city right and we need a higher level of service so even if you're you you look at the story that we've been through the last couple of years and say hey you know maybe that's you know i i need you guys to do more you know the the argument i always make to people is this is about getting the foundation of services right to allow us to sort of transition to some of those reform maturity conversations that we have that we have yeah. long term. I mean, Police Chief Shearer, when he was on my podcast, it was and the, we're moving on. That, and I said it then from the previous, you know, chief who retired, and uh, you know, and uh, I mean, I was pretty vocal where I was like, it's pretty clear to me that it was kind of like, well, they basically decided because they were probably going to be pushed out, but they did retire, and I was totally impressed with what I saw from police chief Shearer. We have not had a situation happen like the Stacey Kenny situation yet under chief Shearer's watch. So we don't know exactly how we would respond. I do have faith that there would be accountability. Right. And so, but it's extremely important to me that, you know, we do want more policing, but we don't want that to mean that Springfield police is known for having a heavy hand. We don't want the police to be running around and, in, and being intimidating to people because that actually doesn't make a safer community. What it makes is that it makes more situations where people want to elude where, because they're like, what if I get shot by this cop? That's they're running for their safety. That's, and those laws are difficult because mm-hmm. in Washington state, there's a law that they've now, uh, you know, you can say it's activists, prosecutors, or however it is that not you, but like people, right. but that they're saying like, they've made it to where you cannot, you cannot, uh, if someone runs, you cannot chase them unless there's probable cause of certain kinds of crimes, right? And I don't know the answers to these. These are really complicated because, but the thing is, is that there's a reason that people are running and fleeing. I mean, f- back, we had a guy in, I don't know if it was Eugene Springfield. We had a guy that was pulling women over and sexually assaulting them. It was a police officer. So it, this was 20 years ago, but I'm just saying it, these issues like, People are like you just need to do what they say, and it's like no, like some yes, you should, you should, all you should, but we need to know that you can trust that they're going to do something moral. I'm not accusing the Springfield police of this, but I just these are really, really important things. Now this is separate than the levy. I think the levy right. and the jails. I think the proof is in the pudding in a lot of ways that those cases are not 
why things have improved because people are not because they're knocking billy clubs against people's necks you know what I'm saying? that's not what's happening and, and, i don't believe no, that i don't believe that i don't believe that and that's right and that's not you know that's not a 21st century sort of police it's not in, it's not and so these cases though rare but they do need to be looked at and obviously there's there's moments where where it's such tense moments that bad moves happen because they're human beings that make these decisions like potentially with Charles Conrad that's running for office. I mean, lost yeah. his temper. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, and I don't know well, the whole story, you know, and I, and I don't know. I do not know the whole story either. And even if I did know the whole story, individual cases are really not a place for, for me to be able to comment about. I can tell you that, you know, policing continues to change and evolve, right? Like in that we're, um, we're, uh, that as an industry, right, this thing is moving as quickly as, um, you know, very, very quickly to sort of adapt, grow, um, add training, right? Like whatever, whatever key, whatever case, you know, term you want to use. Um, but I, but I think what, where we're going to end up is a place where as that you're, you've got a group of folks, you know, and we want, we need to get them the, we need to get them the equipment, the training, you know, and talk clearly what about how we want to be policed as a community. And I think that's a good conversation to have. Yeah. We've got a couple comments that I'd like to read because it's it's specific to this topic. Sure. So Mark Molina, uh, he said, I was on the original pack for the jail levy. I'm on the current pack. This levy is critical to funding ongoing safety needs in our community in many areas of operations, as the mayor stated. He also said, the foundations of the levy are sound. How the funds are utilized follow strict rules and cannot be misappropriated. So that is good. Yeah. And thank you for that, Mark. Uh, shout out to Mark Molina. He's one of my good friends behind the scenes. He's a great man. Uh, a listener, Steve, Steve Shin said, we must clean up the homeless problem. And I don't care if I care. And I don't know if I care if it's 21st century policing. And my instant thought on that is, is that even though I may, I don't know, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with this guy, but like that being I'll, said, I don't, I have to say this. I share the frustrations. I share I'll, the frustrations. Totally. We may have differences of, of opinion on strategy. I don't know if there's necessarily a right answer. We uh, are in this together. You know, we, we are in this together. Um, Thank you so much, Steve, for your comment. Uh, you don't know who Steve is? I don't know. I probably he do. Is Steve. He he is the owner behind Bartolotti's okay, um, okay. downtown and is an absolute uh, great business owner yeah. and I enjoy talking to him every single time. My my daughters who love pizza because they're six uh, refer to his place as the pizza store. Okay, well I'm going. I'm going to check it out. So Steve, thank you so much for your comment and I I'm with you. You know I mean I think that I've I've been I've been very vocal about it. It's not and it's not a, just a simple answer. No, know? and that's and that's and that's the importance of the the level of con, like the level of conversations that we've sort of talked about when you know integrating cahoots, right? Integrating you know, and on the fire side, they've integrated better different levels of service. Um, and there's con, you know you know they're sort of building out this. How do we actually respond? Not just for today, yeah. but actually deal with the issue that you know but let me, I mean, folks are facing let me say this though sure. like with policing that is one part of the of the solution another part of the solution when we decriminalize drugs because we wanted to make sure that we're not hear me out when we yeah, no, no no i, I actually know. i was on the podcast against it but that being said the promise was that when we decriminalize drugs that people would get treatment instead of incarceration correct and so until we have centers to go to which is going to a cost money people have to understand so I've really, really done my my due diligence, in my opinion, to understand where people were coming from when they say defund the police, right? They don't, some 
the extremes, that's not who's running government, in, right. in, especially in Springfield. But that being said, that's what they mean. We need to reallocate funds. Not re- We need to actually, unfortunately, probably raise taxes across the board in some ways because we have to have places to go if we're going to fix this problem. You have to invest in your people, in your community. That's So I, I separate the conversations in my head. Okay, so and we can tackle them in two separate things, right? Because when I hear that, I hear like, hey, there's a big safety, there's a big um, sort of health healthcare gap that's, that, that's out there, right? And so, hey, you have a bucket of resources here. You need to move it from one place one place to another. And so, when I think about when you think about how what you're asking from, you know, from from the police, that isn't a reallocation sort of problem. Yeah. Pro- like we've got to address, um, you know, and you know, continue to you know have a pretty open and you know honest conversation about where we want policing to go in the next in the next couple of years. And I know we're going to get into that here in a little bit, but I think that's a kind of a separate conversation than the sort of that the measure 110, you know, conversation. Sure. I want, you know, I want to make sure that when you call 911, right, that there's a reasonable response time. And yeah. that and that takes time and energy and sort of money. And I want to make sure that when, you know, we, you know, when you take policing about public safety uh about pe- uh people physically, personally, in their property, right? That, you know, we have a, we, we have a law enforcement force that does that to keep everybody safe, right? Because that's how you create a truly welcoming community so that we don't have, you know, everybody breaking and entering, you know, um, you know, cars getting broken into people getting hurt, right? That's the policing conversation. The, the sort of behavioral health drug conversation is a much broader. Sure. And the the thing I'll, I'll share with you. I think that's a really good thing to say. And I think that's true. And go ahead. Yeah. The thing I'll share with you about the Measure 110 conversation, like the whole thing needs to be revisited. I know it's coming from a place that says, like, we got to get people off drugs. But, you know, I had a, somebody sent me a text the other day where somebody had been taking drugs on the streets, streets of Springfield. And basically they walk up to the guy and they say, hey, it's legal. And, you know, like, leave me alone. It is really dangerous to our communities I agree. to say drugs are legal in the state of Oregon and just come here and you can take meth yeah. or heroin no. or fentanyl until like there was you got to get help in, in South Umqua school district. I believe I, I, <laughs> there, it doesn't matter in Oregon. I'm pretty I saw it on the news mm-hmm. that there was a student that OD'd in the bathroom and, and a kid. And this is the problem because it's so accessible. We have we're having an absolute the fentanyl thing is is killing Absolutely. kids with one pill. And this is, they used to be, these are like, you smoke, you take one bong hit, the next thing you'll be doing heroin, which is bullshit. But now we're actually dealing with the reality that this is how extreme it is. It's yep. no joke. You know, and, and I think that that's, the drug stuff is, is out there. You know, it, it's, it, I, we have to revisit that. Absolutely. I want to get back real sure. quick. You know, so there's two parts to what can cause, uh, homelessness and all that stuff. There's many, many, many parts uh, that can cause homelessness uh, and, uh, you know, policing their job, their part in it is just one, one thing that the, the cops do. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to figure out how I want to segue this in. I just want to say when back to what we were talking about with policing, me and you, two white men, I think that counselor Pitts, Damien Pitts would have a different take mm-hmm. on, you know, on his experience as a black man. You know, uh, what we saw, and this was under the previous Mm -hmm. chief, you know, what we saw in Thurston during the Black Lives Matter protests, I watched it, watched the stream. It was an obvious imbalance of 
of the way that it was handled. You know, and I understand that people, when you're going through neighborhoods, I'm not a big fan. And I've said this on the podcast mo- many times, when you're going through neighborhoods causing to, to protest to make a point, because they're try- they were trying to make to get people's attentions. I'm not a big fan of that concept when you go to people's homes. And I think that sometimes when there's protest, the people that start the protest, they're going to get a lot of vitriol, no matter what their cause is, if they're being, you know, near homes. But my take on it was the policing was absolutely imbalanced. I mean, there was in front of police, there was, we'll just call them proud boys that were literally punching kids and they did nothing. And then there was police that were punching people and they did nothing and punching people that were peacefully protesting. And yes, they're on the streets, but that is within their constitutional rights. And they're angry because they want to know what's going to change so that they have to know that they don't have to elude a cop if they get pulled over because they may be shot as a black man or woman, you know, you know, and it's difficult. So there's an independent independent investigation going into the response for black the Black Lives Matter protest. Where are we at with that? Is there any progress on that? So the independent investigation's done. That that's the thing that's referred to as the Brazil report. So um one of the things that I'll tell you is like I can't like a lot of this is still wrapped up sure. in wrapped up in litigation. So I can't get into a whole lot of the specifics, but I can tell you I know that this is a big interest in in the um among a lot of people in the uh for the city of uh, the city of Springfield, in that same in that same sort of time frame, we did get I don't know maybe three three or se- three separate reports that you know covered a lot of recommendations. A lot of those recommendations, in, including the Brazil report, but you know it was the OIR report, the report out of the Kenny settlement. Um, a lot of those recommendations have been complete, and when you hear. Um, when you listen, if you listen to the discussions at city council right now, there's a lot of what I would call entrepreneurship type work that is happening and coming out of the police department. Either we get feedback, sometimes it's not good, but we get feedback and people come back and say, Hey, you know, we heard this, we're doing this now. Or you hear a lot of, uh, a lot of work, um, around, you know, different, different folks that have sort of different ideas in the, you know, as the profession of policing is changing to go, okay, we need to start working towards this way. I know that over the long term, you know, we, we want to get to a place where everybody's asking this question, what's Springfield up to from a policing, yeah, from sure. a policing place, but we are going to be, it is a long road yeah. to get there. Yeah. Cause the reputation, Steve Shin la- left another comment that I, I think is really perfect for what we're talking about. It says, I specifically moved to Springfield from South Eugene because of the city's respect for the rule of law. I can't support mayor Van Gordon enough, a man of common sense in a world sadly devoid of it. And I agree with you, Steve, again, you know, I will say that, that my concern is always about excessive force and always about situations. The Stacey Kennedy situation, Kenny situation was absolutely disgusting. You know, the way what went down with, with Stacey Kenny. Now I've, I've talked to uh, Barbara Kenny about coming on the podcast. And the only reason I haven't done it yet is because I need to make sure that I'm fully prepared because that is a very difficult story. And I plan to tell it, but it's just, I want to do it justice. I want to do it right. You know? And so there's situations that have happened that I just, ah, you know, and, and policing is tough. And I, I just don't think that there's an easy answer. Like there's people that want to say, 
if you just police with a heavy, you know, just people need to follow the law of uh, the, the, what did, what did uh, Steve's, it said, you said uh, the rule of law. And I agree with that. But in that Black Lives Matter protest, my problem is nobody wants special treatment, or at least I don't want special treatment for anybody. What I want is equal rights, which means that you police the same for everyone. Right. And so when someone's punching someone, those, that person needs to be held accountable. Do you know what I'm saying? And so if they're, if they're doing it, you know, punching these Black Lives Matter protesters, then those people need to be held accountable. Yeah. And, and I think they have been to, the, to an extent, but they weren't on that moment. They were not. Right. And, and like I said, I can't like... Sure, you can't a, speak on it. But, we, but, we, let's, but I know that there's a concern that says, okay, all these, um, you know, you've got a lot of stuff in the news, you know, what actually happens to it. And you brought, and, and you brought up the Kennys um, and that, 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 that case is that case is closed and it has a really good example of how I think we're, how, how we think, I think we're approaching, um, approaching policing, right? First of all, you know, the, the Kennys have been that, you know, they, there was a lot of recommendations for the PD that came out of that lawsuit and the Kennys have been as a family, you know, I, I think about them almost every single day. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to the Kennys several times and especially, um, I've been really inspired by their willingness to stick with this as a topic because it wasn't just, Hey, here is the, um, here's the recommendations now. And we're, we're never going to talk again. It is not uncommon for bar. Like as we approach certain things, um, from, uh, that are in that Kenny settlement for Barbara, Kenny and I to talk and just to be like, are, do we have it yet? Like, what is your ultimate sure. vision of this? And I think that is, that is a, a, a sense of how you go from getting recommend like getting recommendations saying that you should go do X to truly making it part of the DNA of your organization. Fifteen years from now, we will still be talking about the Stacey Kenny incident. Right. Twenty years from now, we still will be. But look at how the conversation around how the city approached use of force, has, you know, has changed and arguably arguably for the better. The first time we produced that use of force report, it was essentially a pie chart, right? Right. The second time everybody tabulated, you know, had to go tabulate everything by hand and, you know, it was better. The next time, then we invested in what was called the IA Pro software. We brought another FTE around um, data science specifically around this, this software to make sure that we were getting the kind of the accountability that we wanted out of it and make sure, you know, and make sure we were getting every mile that we could out of it. So it was the conversation really started you know, is part of the settlement. And then we really broke, you know, broke it down and said, okay, how do we put it in front of council every single year? Like we're supposed to ultimately, I want to have it come up at, at the same date every single year so that we're clear and open and transparent about it. And if you follow those conversations, they are not easy. They, but they're in depth and both the police and the council respond with nuance in you know, compassion and really diving into diving into, well, what does this mean? And how do we take what happened the last year and turn it into um, reform to kind of go forward? The other commitment um, that, that I've made is that we've brought the P PD back for a long in-depth report to keep it in front of us in the public, you know, at least once a quarter um, since I've been mayor. Yeah. I think with public safety, though, my, my thoughts go to what we want. I, I'm not anti, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not defund the police. I think that I'm not on that train. I do think that we need to 
um, like I said, almost increase services and, and rethink and modernize how we're thinking about things. But we also need accountability across the board. People say that they want personal accountability for the homelessness and for the poor and for drug addicts. We need that for the police. We need personal accountability. And so sometimes when Chief Shearer was on, and I'm not saying we don't, right. I, when Chief Shearer was on, he did say something that I took to heart. And, and you know, this is what's so cool about what I get to do because mm-hmm. I get to meet people and learn from them. And there's two examples, school board mm-hmm. and police chief, Zach Bissett, who I grew up with, was on the school board. And he said, sometimes when you fire the superintendent, it's actually a net not gain because it takes 18 months sometimes to get back to where you already were. And then you don't actually make any progress and it's time for another reelection. So nobody wants to, you know, ruffle any feathers. You don't get anything done. So when we were talking, that's a different issue, but this is where my brain went with it with police chief Shearer. I said, don't you think that we should have a citizen review board, you know, police review right. board. And he said, yeah, but not if they have ultimate control, they can give recommendations. And I'm like, well, isn't the problem when the police are policing themselves, that's, proven to not be working we need an outside arbitrator or arbiter i don't know the difference <laughs> but uh uh that you know we need both a little bit and they maybe there's a little bit of give and take but he said there is a chance to fire you know to to oust the police chief and it goes through the mayor and the city and the city manager you know mm-hmm. is that is that correct you know so it's like if you're not liking where you go and that, and I like what he said, and I know why he said it, because he cannot be looking over his shoulder all the time. He has to just focus on his job. Right. And so, and he said also, that is the job of the police chief. And if they appointed me, and you don't think that they, um, they find it, uh, you know, basically, he kind of passed it off. It's like, well, if there's issues and you want to take them up, take them up with them, because they are the ones that appoint, you know, appoint me. And so... If you don't like the way that it's going, that's where you would do it. And I, it's an interesting thing. So anybody listening, I recommend going back and listening to those. Oh, two. it's a, it, it's a, it's a great podcast. Oh, my, it's one of my been, best. We've been extraordinarily lucky to, um, to have gotten Chief Shear, um, and you know when, and you kind of brought up this term, you know this this term about accountability, um, like. <laughs> a lot of my background's really in business, right? So when, when I talk about accountability, you know, I always t- take two terms that people have. Like if you say this in, to, to, to people like, hey, I'm gonna hold you accountable, right? That's, I'm gonna keep, get you in trouble, right? And if, yeah. if, if we stand, you know, the way I approach sort of being mayor is like, we, we, we've gotta talk about accountability of self, right? I'm accountable, right? Yeah. Like. Sure, like situationally, it may not be somebody's fault. Maybe you don't have the right tools, but every day we like people have got to walk through the door in business, policing, you know, whatever in their life, and just simply say, "I'm accountable." Like I'm accountable for my behavior. I'm accountable for my approach, Um, and I think that's a sort of subtle difference. And then I think that when we think when that question about sort of transparency comes up, um, one of the places we've got to tell you know we've got to talk about what's happening more, right? Some of the things that we don't share are a product of um, that there's either employment law, right, you know, in regards to it, there's state law in regards to it, or, you know, our outgoing, outgoing litigation. And I always emphasize to people, hey, we're not going to share that. But as we sort of talk about how do we get to that next level, and you, you know, um, this was part of the, the conversation around, you know, complaints and reviews, right? You know, we don't need to choose 
Like, here's the specific solution. Hey, Eugene's got a citizens review board. If we had Eugene's citizens review board, it would be effective for us. We need to actually talk to these guys about where we want to go. We want to know, you know, if, if people complain that they're being, um, that they're, you know, that that, whatever that issue is, is being looked at and actions being taken for it. Right. right. That could be a citizens review sure. board. That could be, that could be something else. But I can tell you that that whatever that process is, it needs to be a little bit more transparent. The PD needs yeah. to be re- like, we are at the point of, we just moved our complaints process into the new software, this IA pro, um, everything's got a control number. We know how, you know, how long P, you know, complaints have, you know, we'll know how long complaints have been in the, the queue, right? All the information's in the same place. And then after that, I hope we get to a point that we're sort of talking about and just saying like, Hey, Patty, you're a taxpayer. You know, we had 17 complaints last last week, right? Half of them were, you know, we took action on. 10% of them were unfounded or whatever the results were. And just that's what transparency looks like. That's what the conversation about accountability looks like. You know, and I just, last thing, and we'll move sure. on from policing, but there's, can, there's, there's people in Springfield government that Joe Pishinari, for an example, that, that he is has this attitude at least in my opinion that is just like well he's a cop he's a moral man i just think that that's not fair because they're people they they are sure they're moral but what's to say that just because just because you're a cop this is my whole issue when someone says some like a cop tells me and i'm a barber and so i've met Mm -hmm. military police absolutely which is beautiful which i'm super grateful for because it's made me evolve as an adult you know because i was in a little anarchist kid from south eugene and I've had to grow up, you know, because I transferred schools and then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> but uh, when someone says I, I pull, you know, I'm in a situation and, the, and my life is threatened as a police officer. I'm in a situation. My life is threatened. I have to make sure that I go home that night. And it's like, do you I ask this question. Do you think that your life is more valuable than that suspect? And they're like, well, it's me, of course. No, the answer is no, it's not. Like, it's not, it's not, it's, I don't agree that that person gets to decide just because you're a cop, that your life is more valuable than the homeless man or than the black man or than whatever it is. It's just not fair. And when you have people like Joe Pishinari that I see it on Facebook constantly, and maybe I should talk to him, but like, I see it constantly where that's, there's this attitude that they're like, well, they're cops, they're good people. And it's like, that needs to be broken down because that it's just not that simple. You know, right, it's way but more because nuanced. they're cops doesn't make them bad people either. If we don't have accountability, then there's no way to police the police, and that's all. I'm, that's that's basically what my take is. And and I am with you. You you had laid out ways that people like Barbara Kenny put our feet to the fire, as as a city city mm-hmm. manager or, or city representatives, and it's a good thing because it's le- it's pushing. It's like we will not stop until we get to a point yes. where people are happy. And that I want to say something that for that I hope this is okay because it's a little taboo. But behind the scenes, when we were prepping this episode, you had mentioned there's issues. I always give my questions, always, right. and then I might add some. But you said something I thought was so incredible because you said I want to be responsible to my city. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and I said and I I believe you, and so does Steve. <laughs> you know, so and so I'm I'm I have faith. That we're we're going in a good direction, and so I, I'm I'm really grateful. It's, and let me plug a couple more things, and I know we got a long list of stuff to get through, right? But like, I, it is going to be a long walk, yeah. Right, like you know, and, and it takes all of us, yeah. And right, 
and and I would I would encourage you to talk to Counselor Pishinary. I right? want to because yeah. he's a it's a more complicated you know and David com- Lovell yeah and, oh I oh absolutely yeah and I think people like you know and I and I talk to Joe all the time about this is you know he's he was a cop for thirty years right yeah. he assumes he knows everybody knows all of this every time he talks about why policing works this way and this is one of the things I think Chief Shear does a really nice job of of like I'm not a police officer. I'm an industrial engineer. Sure. You know, and going, oh, I'm this a barber. Is, yeah. 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 This, the, you know, put the, put your teaching hat on it about it. But also, I think to make sure that the community's going, feels like it's going, you know, forward, we also have to, it is okay for us to come back and highlight all the good stuff folks are doing as well. You know, um, every once in a while, we'll have folks down at the uh, city council just to say, hey, look, this event happened, right? We responded, hey, we got it right. Because when we sort of, um, you know, talk to, to, you know, talk to police, highlight police, we also as a community have to say, okay, this one we got it right on. Um, that doesn't mean we won't, we'll be, won't be perfect every single time, sure. right? Like, but being able to say, recognize that people are listening, people are reacting, you know, and, and people are engaged in the conversation. Uh, the one thing I've been really impressed with the with the line staff at City Hall uh, in the PD about is I've never had a conversation about this where people have been like pushed back and said, "Okay, we're not listening. We gotta, we we agree. We you know we we got to move forward. Policing is a calling. Like this, you know, sometimes jobs you fall into, sometimes jobs, um, you know, that you make a plan for, and sometimes you have these moments where you're you know struck. You're, you're Paul on the road to Damascus and you're hit by a lightning. Policing's a like, call. Like how God told Ted Cruz he was going to be president. Well, maybe not that far, but <laughs> yeah, I know. But, no, I want to say this real quick about Joe sure. Pichinari, just as an example too. Sure. I make my comments and we're all entitled to our views. I will say that on Facebook, people need to understand that that's where people want to be smart asses. And that being said, I'm one of them. <laughs> so, so my point is, is that just because I disagree with you and it's irritating, I would be an absolute hypocrite if I didn't allow him to have that room to be a little bit of a smart ass or whatever. That being said, I learn stuff. It's like the Thurston Neighborhood Watch Facebook page, which is a train wreck. But that being said, like, I, I do value the differences of opinion because that's why I love Springfield and I, I love... I've learned so much about, you know, there's a lot of different views in this town and there's a lot of people that come together and then they just kind of, like Steve had said, the rule of law, there's things that are just different, yeah. you know, that I agree. And so the, the biggest advocate for a drug court in Springfield has been Joe Pichonary. Sure. And I think that I, I'm going to reach out to him, but yeah, well, you but, should, I'll give him your I'm number. Gonna do a, I'm going to do a forum. So it's not one-on-one so that we don't end up fist fighting each other. <laughs> not, not Joe. I'm not just specifically saying Joe, like David Lovell, Joe, I was very critical. And I think that it's fair during campaigns. Cause I am, I do my job, you know? Right. So in campaigns are a crucible, right? Yeah. Like they, they should be critical. Yeah. So, okay. So we're going to move on. I think we covered policing and public safety very well. So this is one of your favorite areas to talk about, I know, is roads and transportation. (laughs) So we had talked, I had uh, Molly Markarian on to talk about the Main Street Safety Mm -hmm. Project, which proved to be extremely unpopular, especially with the Thurston residents. What is happening with the Main Street Safety Project now? Is it a dead project? And why do people hate roundabouts? (laughs) You you set set this up all for all, all all for breaking news. Okay, so let's talk about where the project is now, right now. The nine roundabouts, the continuous median, the thing that is um, that has been a pro- that has been causing 
was the is dead. It is not like the council's official position written in a piece of paper with a vote with direction to our one employee is do not do any more work on this. Wow. Um, it was very unpopular. I, I was encouraging it because I just I like roundabouts. I went to Ireland. Yeah, the <laughs> the next the originally when we went into the summer, we were going to go out and have listening sessions to kind of create an alternative sort of plan, for lack of a better word. And we just, there's not been enough staffing. So realistically, um, we're not going to start those listening sessions until probably 23. Um, the thing that there's no, there's no plan. There's no work being done on a plan. Um, we're going to go out and talk to the business owners, you know, in, in, um, in small groups and big groups and talk about, well, what do you guys want to see about the corridor before we put ink to paper? But that's not going to be for a long, that's not going to be for a long time. I'm not sure if I know. And, but maybe, maybe we need cameras, you know, in some of those areas more because, because there's just, there's, I mean, I almost got hit by a car walk across the street on 51st where it's a 25 mm-hmm. and a dude was driving by Riverview elementary. Oh shit. That's really, but he was driving down the street going like 70 and, and there's, there's issues with, I mean, there's people that the, the, there's a need, there's a reason that the main street safety project was proposed Yes, because every single year, if not multiple times a year, there's people that get hit by cars and killed and to do nothing. It's just like, I guess we're just accepting that that's just our fate and the, and not, you're not, I'm, no. it's not your fault. This is just so unpopular. You have to, like you said, be responsible for the city or to the city. People didn't want it. The, you know, and I, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling them out for the the. But I think there's there, at what there's cost? there's a well. I think this is more nuanced than the roundabouts. Let's let, let, let's sure. let, let's kind there's of. There's a lot of businesses, but that being said, it, the proposal wasn't what people. They're like, it just sucks because I I just feel like a lot of people are being so short sighted with it. I was actually a supporter of it. I don't yeah. care what. I'll die on this hill. That, no, like know, I, you know. <laughs> I, I understand, but I think you're talking in a language that is like, "Hey, I was for the roundabouts, right?" Well, no, just yeah. in general, I liked a lot of the proposal, yeah. but the, there was yeah. a lot of stuff that was going to be terrible, and there. it wasn't the right answer. But we cannot do nothing. So the question becomes, what what can we do? I don't. I mean, know. And, and, yeah, this is your and that's the that's the that's where the listening sessions are going to come. Sure. Uh, my, I feel like that they're going to that you know people want to get to a plan. Right then, then we avoid that every five years we're worried about LTD, ODOT, the city about you know about whether or not a, a plan can you know some other planning you know effort. I will tell you, I think I think the plan is somewhere around making sure and seeing all like seeing all the investments that we've done today, like what were their impacts, right? Like getting clear on how we measure the safety, how we do it on a regular basis. When you talk to businesses along Main Street individually, people have um, people have needs. Somebody says, "Hey, look, I I actually do need a crosswalk, right? I actually do need you know a lane, a pullout, whatever." Um, I think there's that some of that work to be done. Um, I I think there's a win-win for everybody in here that allows us to go. Okay, what do we really need to do to get through the next five years and give people the clarity and calmness? But that really is going to mean that. Sh- the 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 quarter's got to stay in its same footprint, right? Mm-hmm. We've got to have a conversation that says, you know, we agree upon what the data, you know, the safety data is, and what do we expect from from a safety picture around the corridor? And then people are going to have, and you know, there's probably half a dozen I can name off off the top of my head. Um, they have individual needs. Like let's treat, like let's not try to boil the whole ocean here. Let's try to talk talk to each you know area and go, okay, if you need a crosswalk an updated light, 
you know, we're going to get you all of those. I want to say something. I want people to take notes when I say this, because this is, I really think this is, should be, I hope that this inspires people to, to take what I'm saying to heart and try to do this in their own lives. I really liked the project. Okay. And it didn't get pushed through because the people didn't want it. Like this is where democracy wins, Mm -hmm. right? I'm happy about that. It wasn't me getting my way. It wasn't me getting my way. It was, it wasn't, I think you were supportive of it. You pushed to, at least you wanted to get the vote, the word out. My podcast wasn't getting quite the reach at the time. Right. And I also choose not to share it in the Thurston Neighborhood group page because I need to, I'm sharpening my, my chops more and more <laughs> as we go. But those trolls, they, they can find me in time because they're going to be aggressive towards me. But that, <laughs> that being said, I, some of them, there's, and it only takes a couple, you know, that it really can make, I'm a, I'm a person that just lives. And I know you're a public figure. I'm sure that you've had some negative feedback too, just like everybody where people want results immediately, you know, and it's just the, it's so difficult. There's a reason things are slow, but I am okay with the fact that it didn't get pushed through. I'm not okay with the people dying. I don't want that. To, I want that right. to be clear. Nobody's is, you know, that get hit by cars. I'm okay with the fact that for right now, there's a pause because people, did not want that proposal. They did not like it. And so I am not only about when it comes to politics or, or governing, I'm not only about getting my way. I'm a, about democracy. I'm about li- the people because I might not know every, I don't, I know, I do not know everything about everything. Like you had mentioned yeah. before about our, our field of expertise. So that that's, I want that to be clear. I think we all need to do that. We all need to kind of sit back and be like, what do the people want? And and I believe people, when they say they want to get to a, get to an answer that makes sense, that people can have a moment that they put their hand in the middle and say, yes, this is it. We right, got it. Right. That's where I want to end in this thing. So now we received funding from the infrastructure bill. I don't really know a ton about this. This is really long and we don't, I mean, we've got as much time as we want, but I'd really, I mean, there's a few things I want to talk about still that we need to get to, but where, what are the plans to utilize funds that are coming from the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was signed, you know, Joe Biden pushed for, I want to make that clear. <laughs> People, they call it on the news, the, 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 the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but Joe Biden has been a pretty good president in my opinion. He's got a lot of stuff done. So, so the dollars go to ODOT first okay. and then they get sort of sub granted to, um, the big transportation agency down here called that's called MPC, right? Or it is one of the most important committees. Definitely ask, ask Randy Groves about this because he's the chair of MPC right now. Okay. Um, and then it sort of gets sub sub granted back down to the city. So the grant funds that we have will grow um, incrementally to to fund you know projects that we have sort of identified right now. Um, so it's still in, I guess it's still in its early early project process. And then there will be some some grant additional grants that we can go out for. I think there's a climate change grant that we can go apply for. I think there's some other dollars, other grant programs out there that we can go apply for uh, to bring dollars directly to the city. The thing that I think about when I with the with the infrastructure bill is people have to notice it. And this and I've said this a couple of times in the transportation um, meetings that I'm in is if this is a generational investment in infrastructure, right? Like you've got to feel like we filled some potholes, well, with you, it, you, fixed pot, a bridge, potholes, and we're going to also have to have charging stations, you know, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And so I do. I, I you always reach out to me, but I really want you to reach out to me when there's news, when there's yeah. when there's stuff, because I really want to deep dive into that. Just about 
you know, I, I'm down to talk about roads. People might tune out to it, but I think it's so important. And I think people actually are more interested than, than people realize. One of the best news stories that we've had as a city has been that road bond. We're going to sure. talk about like yeah, yeah. any, any, you know, Mohawk, it looks smooth and yeah. gorgeous. And I've talked to people that said, oh, thank goodness you found the, the time to do it. What did you think of Pete Buttigieg? I liked him. Yeah, because uh, you got to meet him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the... Um, I thought he was like, I thought the event was sharp. Um, I, I thought he was engaged, um, you know, and it, it just takes, like, we've got a lot of infrastructure investment. Yeah. And w- the, the, the part I want to be clear with folks is we, with infrastructure dollars, everybody can kind of kind of come to the table and look for those dollars. We, we've got, we can't get too cute here, right? Like right. we've got to make sure that, you know, average everyday Oregonians see a difference in the infrastructure they access every single day Yeah, to, to get to home, to get to work, you know, whether or not it's bus, bike, you know, whatever, you know, car, whatever. Um, but we definitely have to move, you know, move the dial with it. Is it pr- just real side, weird side note, but he was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, right? Yeah. And it's probably about the size of Eugene, correct? Ooh. 200, yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't, but it's don't small, it's not huge. It, it, it's not huge. Correct. And then, so you're the mayor of a, of a small town. Well, I mean, it's it's not so tiny. It's 60,000 hey, people. Number nine in the state of Oregon. Okay. Right. Okay. So, We're and, a growing and, metropolitan and, yeah. area. Can you imagine running for president after being, <laughs> I mean, wow. Like it was, he's got some brass. I'll tell you that. You know, yeah. I'm a fan actually of Pete Buttigieg a lot, you know, and I actually really like the future of the Democrats with people are going to hate me for this, but I, I'm interested in seeing what Gavin Newsom can do too. So we'll talk about that later, but. Pete Buttigieg is somebody that I'm like, that dude's rad because he's got a lot of nuance and, and a lot of different corners with military service and with and with if, with his homosexual marriage and whatnot that, that is is kind of modernized. When we new. when we were at LTD, it was it was interesting because it, it was always Mayor Pete, right? Like he's and, rad. And I, and I guess one of one of the things is once you're a mayor, right? That's everybody's yeah. former favorite job. But like, I, you can share that with Rudy Giuliani. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so uh, LED lights are coming. Uh, this is big. This is, I think, really exciting. So LED lights are going in all around town. Does this mean that the Simpsons will no longer be blue or be yellow? Uh, there will be plenty of yellow that, that is still out there. Okay, the, well, good. The, 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 we're going to see more. Like the city agreed and used some of its ARPA funds to invest in LED lights partially because when we got those ARPA funds, we looked for places that were going to move the community forward that we're going to have an actual return on investment. Um, one of the things we've wanted to do for years is reduce our power, our power bill, right. Yeah. And be a little bit more environmentally friendly sure. and right. Improve safety and lighting and public safety on. Um, and that's how we got to the LED this lights. Is somewhere me, where me and Joe Pichinari agree. I've seen him talking about how he's in favor of these. And I have Alan Zundel shout out to Alan Zundel that he, he talks about being a, a democratic socialist libertarian. Right. And I, I want, small government to be efficient and so when you can save money yes it's it's amazing there's nothing but a plus from led lights and and i know that there's going to be a group that worries about light pollution um i wish i had more details for you but i can tell you the ops people are thinking about it too and you know have a plan around it but we 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 want to see like when it's when it's uh, dark in the city, right? Like we want good lighting on the road. Yeah. For also a lot of reasons. goes to public safety, yep. you, know, you know? So, okay. So uh, this is from Chris Wig. He wanted me to ask, are you interested in having Springfield apply to become a tree city? And if you are, can you tell us a little bit about what the tree city USA program is? He said he, he knows that Sean likes to talk about trees. <laughs> <laughs> 
the the tree program is going to be it's pretty cool um you know uh, when we started in t- in 20 in 21 we had planted about 40 trees the last year and i think when i was out with friends of trees in april they were planting 40 trees in that one city and the the city ops folks have done are excited about the potential program have put dollars um you know, uh, have been out planting trees and like, that's why one of the reasons that Mohawk looks absolutely yeah. gorgeous yeah. And right now. Pioneer Parkway has always oh, been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if I had my way, right, I would plant, I would plant trees on, I, you know, I-5 and cover up the, you know, and like when you get north of the town, you just, it just becomes, feels like it becomes cement and yeah. like you see ODOT yeah. having to deal with it the whole time. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you the, the city found 75,000 in a federal block grant, uh, dollars to um go through and like look at places that don't have trees right that have heat islands because we've we've had hotter weather and to grind down grind down stumps and look and look for places that we can get trees into the you know tree canopy in the broader end of the city i'm really excited about it i think it's going to do something special for about a lot of our neighborhoods and hopefully you know you know that that's one of our contributions right like is that it at trees add value to stormwater and they add value to your neighborhoods and they definitely add value to air quality and in, in, in the temperature. Right. You had talked to me before about wanting to do a new library. Mm-hmm. Where are we at with that? Is that still an option? I mean, not even an option. Is it something that has there been news yet or? Yeah. So the, the, the new library originally had uh, been planned to go across the street. So if you walk across city hall, there's kind of a big parking lot. Um, we're just not there yet, yeah. right? Like the the building down the what's called the Carter Building right now has got to be taken down, um, and we've got a lot of work that's being done in North Gateway. We've got a lot of work that's being done in Glenwood. And the library is doing a really nice job. And then I'm going to give another kind of a, a shout out to a program I'm I'm really excited about, um, of going out and saying, okay, if you're if if you don't use the library, why? And then how can we do, how can we, how can we get you down here? Sure. And if the cultural and arts center of, of Springfield is really that plaza, the library does a lot to program that plaza and yeah. make sure that, you know, the, you know, we see a kind of a lot of different folks down there sort of singing, dancing, reading. Um, partnership that we had with the school district. I've been a real big fan of this program. The school district just came through with, with long-term funding. It's called FESSEL, right? Tech. In government, we love acronyms. I know, it's, right? I know. But essentially, what it does is saying, "Hey, if you're in the school district and you're a kid and you're outside of the city limits, we're going to make sure you have a library card." And there's digital yeah. stuff that people don't understand that you can go to the library. You know, you can check out books online and read. You know, so that's yeah. Cool. And right, <clears throat> like you know, I used to hear stories about kids from Springfield School District coming to City Hall and be like, "Oh, you're in the city. You can check this stuff out. Out of the city, we're not going to like we're." Sure. And anytime we work together is government agencies to make sure we put books in kids' hands when they're at that, that age is a good thing. I used to go to the library when I was in my 20s. This is going to show my age. But to, to check out uh, VHS movies <laughs> because I was so poor that I didn't have cable or a DVD player. So I was like, seriously, I mean, I, I was coming up, you know, and my goddaughter didn't know what rewind was, right? Like, it doesn't make sense to yeah. say, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just counterintuitive, right? right? Because right. you'd never, have, you've never experienced Remember it. like the, the VHS rewind, whatever those things are called that would rewinders and they would be like shaped like oh, ca- yeah, the, cars the and The fast stuff. ones. They'd be shaped like cars and it was like, ooh, that's so cool. So, um, 
one thing that I, I, I think it was Vince Casey that asked this. I could be wrong, but do you know who is doing all the Simpsons murals? Um, there's a couple that are official, right? The, the official ones, the one on the Emerald Arts Center, the, the ones that are um, in, the, in the person, like in the alleyways, the business is working with somebody. I, I think I know somebody who knows the name, right? But they're all private businesses that are, that are sort of doing it. And that's been one of the cool things about the art program is like we've invested in the big pieces and that's really spun off these sort of secondary conversations. And it's not just Simpsons murals. There's all sorts of art it's around. Awesome. This. Yeah, it's amazing. It's awesome. And it's, I mean, it's, I think it's, it could potentially be decent for at least drive through tourism, you know, where, where people, because I know that when I travel, you look at, you look on Google and you look at attractions and people will check in at places. And that leads to, mm-hmm. you know, I went and saw in Ireland, uh, Muhammad Ali has a statue. You know, because they honored him because he's yeah. like one seven hundred thousand fortieth percent Irish. Oh, okay. I it's was more like, than that. right, but, than that. but there has got to be a tie. And and Joe, Joe, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Bellina is the city. I think his family was from Ireland yep. or part of you know his family. I think I've heard. So I mean, there's a mural. I mean, it's just we like to do Easter egg hunts when we go uh, travel. Which, by the way, November eighth, election day, I'm going to Washington D.C. And so uh, I've got I'm going to be going to the Capitol. I'm going to be doing a bunch of fun stuff. So. Uh, we got one more question, and then there's a topic that is way too long for us to cover in five minutes, but I'm going to ask about it anyway. I got a question from a listener, a good friend of mine, Simon Ratty, uh, and this is tough, and I don't know if there's really a good answer quickly without nuance, but he said, I'd like to know if anything is being done to reduce rents and create more single occupancy residencies for under $800 a month. <laughs> that's, a, that's asking a lot, but still, I mean, it's it's we're... The cost of rent rent in Eugene and Springfield has soared. And now with Oregon passing a 4.9% cap, it was an increase in the cap on how much they can raise rents. It's even scarier that it's just difficult, you know? So what is being done at least? Uh, let's let's focus on the, the, is there stuff being done by single occupancy residencies? Um, I don't know if there's anything on single occupancy residencies. There's a group in town, and uh, I cannot I cannot think of the think of the name that is sort of doing um, doing some of that work. But like in Springfield, what we've done is we consistently just open the like take the sideboards off of anything that has to do with housing, so that you can if you can build something small, you can build something big. That you, it's easier to figure out if I own a piece of property, how am I going to develop it and um, you know, how can I actually build housing on it? So I'm always interested in people to go, okay, there's another business model. Is it kind of applicable under the code? Um, we've got a lot of, like we've had the la- best two housing years that we've ever had the last two years. Um, part of that is driven by Marcola Meadows. I was going to just yeah. bring that up, yeah. Yep, but, you know, and then, you know, we've got other conversations around affordable housing that are always going on, um, you know, and a lot more, I guess, projects around housing that are in that medium term to sort of fill in that need. Uh, the best thing we like, this is a half state conversation, half city conversation. We are a pro ha- we are a pro housing city. Uh, we want to make it easy for people to build and develop and try to get more, get more housing out there so that, you know, that, you know, I've talked to my nephew who just got a good, co- you know, job out of, out of college and it, and at 22 and I'm going, and I see he, he told me what his rent bill was. And I just was like, it's wow, insane. it is insane. So you mentioned Mark Meadows. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I, 
I want you to tell me briefly, if possible, what it is, what, what people can, that are unaware of the program or what, you know, this new building construction, is it, is it higher end housing? Um, it's, it's me- medium so, to high. Yeah. yeah medium yeah. to medium to high. If you drive out there, there's some high end, it's a big subdivision. It's, you know, it's probably going to be 750 new homes that are going to oh, be out there. It's sure. the last big subdivision that we have Okay, and it, and it's really kicked off. So they're building the housing in right now. Um, in the next couple of years, um, they're going to add a, a pretty big apartment complex. I think across the street, somebody's going to add another big apartment complex. In long term, I believe there's a school and a church that's going to go out there and maybe some light commercial um, to really sort of really sort of fill uh, fill it in. But the reality is, um, if I had a, if if we had a thousand more homes tomorrow in Springfield, if we could just flip a switch, we would have um, we'd have them sold by next week. Sure, and all. I mean, I'm a believer in if you build all levels of income homes, it's good. Like pro housing, like you said, 100%. I am, it's a, it crucial that we get affordable housing though. We have mm-hmm. to do things that they cater to that. I'm okay with the, the argument that people make, typically conservatives, will make that, that if you have middle and high income housing developments, trickle down bullshit that they always say they say they say what it does is it opens up lower income housing because people that are going to move up and it, and, and that is does, there's truth to that yeah that is now true. that being said one thing that i'm not okay with is developers that want to build those houses and then use that argument to get the tax cut to call it low income housing development because that's not fact you know, uh, what I'm, you know, so I just want to like I was just over at the Home Builders Association and I don't hear I, I don't hear that. There's do, been some stuff uh, with with not maybe in Springfield, right. you know, but there's been some stuff. There's been some I've been hearing some talk behind the scenes about uh, with the developer of the Fifth Street Public Market. Uh, I can't remember his name, but, the, you know, that he was applying for he wanted to get low income housing status so that he could build this high-income housing. And he's like, well, it opens up low-income housing. And it's like, nope, that doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think if, if this is the development I'm thinking about, I think it's pro- it's a little bit more complicated than I'm that. I'm sure it I is more complicated to, than I, that. But I just think that that's troubling when people want to make an argument where... Because, you know, trickle-down economics, I saw a meme and it sums it up perfectly, which is all... Whatever, but it's true. There's a, and it's a joke. But still, a mom and a daughter, and the, and the daughter says, Mom how does trickle-down economics work? And the mom says, well, first, the 1% gets all the money. And then, then the daughter goes, and then what? And she goes, oh, that's it. So <laughs> trickle-down economics is the, probably the wrong term to use around around housing. But I'll tell you these two things, and I know we're, we're, we're running up on the, on the timepiece. Right. Um, the, the first one is it is true that people move 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 up and down the housing spectrum. The other piece is, you know, we've got to be aspirational as a city. And I know that there's subsidized housing and a need for it. But we also want to create an avenue where people don't, you know, don't rely on a subsidy to, you know, to be able to make rent every single month and feel like that, you know, they can grow in their jobs and their careers and, you know, be financially better off at the end of the career than they were at the beginning of their career. The other thing that why why you've got to get the mix right and from from looking at the from the city's finances like you know market rate housing pays for a lot of teachers and a lot of firefighters and a lot of police officers too right that's so true. That's so true. we got to find that that's balance to, to to move to allow everybody to be in the community and everybody to sort of move up so that you know where we can you know you know, people get the help that they need, but ultimately I want them to own homes on their own. And explain that. I, I, I know why, but like in a layman's terms, the reason that it pays market, you, how did, what did you say? So market rate 
uh, in above market, in like premium housing, it, pays for a lot of uh, through property taxes, taxes because yeah. they're they're valued yeah. at more like property. the police levy that we talked mm-hmm. about today. You know, and like te- you know, supporting they, teachers they, 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 and they, the library and all yeah, this, yeah, that, yeah, right. Like so, the amount, like just look at you know, just go online to Zillow and look at the the tax bills that right. you know, and they're significantly higher. Well, though, that's the money that funds local services right. too, right? So finding that balance matters matters a lot because I also want to pay, you know, teachers, firefighters, and you know, librarians and have great services too. So now, last question. And this is the last question. And it's, there's no possible way that we can talk about this in five minutes. Okay, good. I do want to have you back on and, and we will have an episode devoted entirely to this question. Okay. Okay. And you I feel like it, I'm being set up here, yeah. but go ahead. Is Glenwood Springfield? Yes. <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of talk about what's happening with Glenwood about riverfront properties mm-hmm. potentially. And I know that some of this stuff, again, because of proposals and things we may not be able to talk about, but I really want to do an episode just about Glenwood. So today we talked at nause, ad nauseum. I know that there's, I'm hungry. So my stomach's growling and I know that there's, there's people, there's two that have stuck with us the whole time. And I appreciate you guys so much that are probably thrown up because of how much, you know, we're spinning all over the place. No, but there's, we've talked ad nauseum, but, but I, we've covered Springfield today, maybe after the new year, when I get past this election or we all get past this election, speaking of throwing up in your mouth, uh, when we will have an episode about Glenwood, cause I, there's just so much, you know? Yeah. I may not be, there's the no e- question. I, I may not be the expert to bring, right. You have to bring Steve Mo for that, for, okay, for sure. that, for that conversation because the man knows everything about Glenwood. Okay. Um, I would tell people like go to the, you know, drive right under the freeway. Look at the big welcome to Springfield sign. Yeah. Um, it's in Glenwood. Yeah. The story about why on everybody's address is that it still says Eugene has got something to do with the post office. And um, yeah, I'm sure that there's a story that involves, you know, bureaucracy at the bottom of, you know, the post office building in Washington, D.C. Maybe you can re- research it when, when, when you're out there to get them to, to to change it over to Springfield. But we for for 20 years, the city of Springfield has lobbied to um, to to change the the addresses the post office uses so that it, if you address your work in, in, in Glenwood, you can send it to Springfield. So we're going to get out of here because yep. I think we're losing Wi-Fi connection anyways for some stupid reason. So, hey, Sh- Mayor Sean Van Gordon, thank you so much. This has been an absolute treat. So I, this is a, I think we covered an ab- a lot today. <laughs> so we're going to have you back on. Uh, you know, or maybe I'll reach out to Steve Mo, but you're always welcome on the podcast. Anything you'd like to come on and talk about, just reach out to me. So perfect. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm going to end this with a song. I chose this song. It's probably one of my favorite songs I've ever been a part of. So this is a song by me, Patty Rose, featuring Josh Martinez. This is Don't Look Back. When I was young, when I walked, I would skip the cracks. There was a line where the losses at. There was a time when she looked in my eyes, saw the line, and she walked past. She walked past. Don't look back. Don't look back. You can look back, don't stay back. Hold your tongue, don't say that. You're angry. Don't attack, don't bite the hand that feeds. Don't hesitate to ask. What you need, the company needs me
find the loneliness has run its course Remorse has set in thick Me laid a hole to create a hole that only fits one You'll find the loneliness has run its course Remorse has set in thick Counting on the clock again, turning out the lights and locks Blocking up the loss, looking at the life I lost The toll it gets old, the books that get cooked My mom says, how you doing, son? I say good, but I'm not Maddie's a widow Red flags, I'm prepared, scared, figure fear though Even though I gave you money, time and effort you never filled a hole in your soul, no, it never I never thought I'd net out when I got grown Become a better person, an earned and unknown Reinvent me and end all of that old free Fuck wants to be 40 and alone Recording in a room Bitch, I need a 40 and alone I'm calling and I'm texting you Please pick up the phone Please ease the teasing These knees are weakened I don't appreciate your proposals indecent Yeah, you're fucking sexy You got hot girl problems You also got demons and goblins I feel pressure in the way you chase pleasure I cannot rap with you, MC Escher I mean, I measure my manhood And be a what I say I've been bad and I am good And I mean what I say I love you and I hate you and you know there were other choices But bitch, you chose this When I was young When I walked, I would skip the cracks There was a line where the loss is at There was a time when she looked in my eyes, saw the line And she walked Track path, a machete to the landscape Clear your mental dreamscape Goat is what you're calling her to feel like a victim You need to stop calling her, the choice is now your victim Puff your chest out and push on to the next bout of depression As the isolation is a safe space But leaves you with a pretty sour taste If you wallow in it, she's all only in it for herself Let her go break the heart of somebody else